Hey, welcome back to the podcast. So today's episode is actually a really interesting episode. So this I haven't done anything like this before. And um, this is a really different one. So I speak to Oren Coyle, who is a financial advisor, and we talk about all things financial health. So I know this is a health podcast. So usually it is, you know, we talk about health, we talk about fitness, um, we talk about mental health a lot. Whereas like financial health actually has a huge deal to do with physical and mental health as well because a lot of our stresses can be financial so I thought this was very appropriate and when I was talking to him about doing this podcast I thought it was something that needed to be done it might not be for everyone so feel free to skip past if if financial health is not something that you want to listen to or consider but I do think there is huge value in this for everyone to listen to and so that your own mental health can be better and your physical health could be better by alleviating some financial stresses from your life. So that is literally what this is about. Um, it's very much I take an approach of me wanting to know things that are like from my own, exp- talking a bit about my own experiences and him giving advice in relation to that. And um, me asking questions and things that maybe aren't particularly clear to me that I wanted to know. But I've divided it into two parts because I'm very aware that um, there's probably kind of a two different types of person listening to this. So part one is very much dealing with ordinary day-to-day household finances, talking about debt and talking about budgeting and, you know, our ordinary everyday people who are really finding it hard to make ends meet. So that part one, there's huge um, benefit in the advice that he gives for kind of, you know, getting yourself kind of a little bit financially healthier and through and budgeting and things like that. So really interesting conversation around that. And then part two, we're talking a little bit more about um, towards the people who might, you know, be business owners or people who are earning over a certain amount and want to know a little bit more about what to do with their money. So, you know, if someone has inherited money or, you know, has come into money or has just suddenly started earning more or, you know, has a small business or or a big business or anything, this is and this part two is a really interesting conversation as well. Um, because this, I know I don't, it does, it's not, it's all one conversation, but I kind of, when we're talking, I do kind of say, no, this is kind of, we're going into the second part of the conversation. Um, so in the second part, we talk a lot about investment, which I don't understand, didn't understand a whole lot about. So it was really interesting side for me. And so I'm asking really basic questions on investment here. And then we tip on pensions a little bit. We don't go deep into the conversation about pensions, but we talk about pensions in relation to investment really and and then we talk about self-employment and you know the difference between being sole trader and being a limited company and when it's time to make that switch we talk about kind of tax brackets and we talk about business expenses and how to reduce your tax bill and kind of how much should you reduce your tax bill before you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot in relation relation to getting a mortgage you know the really interesting side of things that um I didn't really think about now it's important to uh, note as well that Oren is a financial advisor and he's based in Derry so he's Northern Ireland so the laws and the things that he's talking about are in relation to the UK. Now we try and keep it as broad as possible. I know there's a lot of UK people listening to this that it will really be beneficial for. But I, I obviously me coming from the Republic of Ireland, the questions I'm asking were in relation to my own life. So we try and keep it as broad as possible, which I know is hard for him at times. Um, he doesn't like to be broad. He likes to you know work person to person and be specific. But we kept it as broad. I think it was really, it really, really beneficial information. And I think you're going to enjoy it. So um, like I said, if you want to skip past the first part, if you're more of a business owner, you want to go to the, the second part, skip 
past or if you're only just interested in the household stuff and you know the basic day-to-day stuff then listen to the first part but in general you know there's there's something out of all of it for everyone and to take home with them so enjoy the episode and I will chat to you soon Oren thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today no problem you're very welcome thanks for having me I'm really excited about this chat because I think this is this is very different to the kind of stuff that we usually talk about like obviously it's a health podcast so we talk a lot about fitness mental health but I think it's really important um to talk a little bit about financial health and I think it's such an un-Irish thing as well it's like you know you don't talk about money (laughs) it's like such a mindset whereas I think this is going to be a really interesting one yeah it will be it will be yeah 100% yeah so I suppose before I always start the podcast off like this, do you want to give a little bit of background on you and what you do? And then we can kind of get into my really stupid, basic questions <laughs> that I'll have for you. <laughs> of course, 100%. So my name's Oren, as you know already. I'm a financial planner or wealth manager, as you would call it. I work for a wealth management firm. And I think we look after, it's probably multiple eight figures now at this point around the UK. So you're talking in the tens of millions, um, primarily for people in Northern Ireland and around England and Scotland because I do stuff online, as you know. Um, I've had some experiences in the South um, because obviously I, I'm from Derry City here in Northern Ireland, so we get a lot of contact from cross-border workers. And we've got a lot of cross-border workers that work here locally. But um, to answer your question specifically, I'm a financial planner. My job is to basically give people advice on what to do with their money, um, for investments and pensions and insurance and all these types of things but behind closed doors which a lot of people don't see is what I would sort of call financial counselling you're giving people a lot of general guidance on how they manage their finances and what they do with their finances so that they can get the where they need to be in their lives down the line or today with their, their personal finances or their business so that's that's a, a, in a nutshell and a nutshell Kate. Yeah, and that's exactly what I'm kind of looking for out of this because yeah. um, we want to talk a little bit about kind of everyday finances to start with. So like for a bit of background on me, well, my, my listeners will know, but anyway, that I, I worked as a primary school teacher for 15 years. So, uh, you know, so like fairly, you know, safe, steady job, you're paying into a pension. I never yeah. had to actually really think about finances. It's like they just take yeah. the pension, they put it there, you're sorted, you're kind of, you know, you're fairly... You just keep working, keep getting your salary every second week. And it worked like that. So I never learned anything about money. So, mm-hmm. and I come from a background then of both my parents, like my, my mom was a teacher. My dad was a guard. So it's very much yeah. all like government jobs. It's all been very Table. kind of secure. So my mindset around money for a long time was very limited to kind of safety. But saying that, I still managed to get myself into kind of this, kind of living expenses debt if that makes sense so like we like um we bought a house quite young because I I was pregnant at 23 so I was like let, let's get our house so we kind of nearly got a loan to get the house I've never talked about the story from this financial point of view so it's kind of interesting I suppose yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> but we got a loan we, at the time, like, and obviously I know when we're talking about financial stuff that we can't go too specific because it's different in Ireland to the UK to whoever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From the US, so it depends. But like, we'll just talk general lifestyle. Yeah. Um, but we, at the time in Ireland, you were able to, they didn't check your finances, you know, when, you, when you're getting a mortgage until a certain point. So we were able to get the loan to make up the rest of the deposit. So we had a loan for the deposit. We had the mortgage. We had 
then a small baby and then like and my husband works in insurance I was a teacher and like you know we were both earning decent money but we were fucking broke yeah. for like 10, 10 years and then we had two more kids as well so it took literally about 10 years like then we had the credit card on top of that and you know that you'd top up a loan then to sort a car or do a holiday or you know and we can't we were constantly living in this I suppose this middle class debt, if you like, which and then you talk to others and others are in the same boat. So you just think it's normal. And it was only in recent years I've started kind of reading a lot more about financial literacy. I'm interested to learn more about kind of financial intelligence and financial health that I've started to kind of guide myself out of this mindset. So I suppose my question in all of this is so anyone in that, if anyone can resonate with, with the situation that I was in, what kind of advice would you give them? What steps can they take? to make oh, things better that's a loaded question kate that's a lot yeah. um so i suppose the, the really interesting thing about finances right is there comes a point in your life where you have to start making certain decisions which is buy a car have a baby go self-employed x y and z but everybody always thinks the societal and cultural norms is this is what i have to do to love a you know a, a culturally acceptable life you know um but the thing is that, uh, you know, fi- finance, as you know, this is very subjective and everybody sort of gets to the same stage and they're in the same position. So it's like, oh, we're all one big happy family because we've all got the big debt, we've got credit cards, we've got big car payments and we've got X, Y and Z. But the bottom line is what people need to understand is everything has to fall into place for you in the times of your life that it makes sense. And so <clears throat> sometimes when people come to see somebody like me, I would say to them, you are in the position to do X, Y and Z right now. But do you actually want to do it? Do you want to do it? Do you want to buy the house now? Do you want to buy an expensive car now? Do you want to have children? Or do you have anything that you are trying to aspire to do in the next few years that would potentially make those things an irrational decision today? And so, you know, whenever you're in those positions, if you're if you're coming from a debt perspective, um, the first thing that people need to do is figure out where they are, where they are right now and stagnancy is what debt do you have, biggest to smallest, less them out, what's the interest rates, what's the payment terms, what's the interest that you're going to pay over that period of time, because sometimes people will be in a position where they'll start chipping away at their mortgage, which has a really low interest rate, but then they've got a credit card or a personal loan that's got 5 10 or 20% interest rate that they really should be paying off first before they start to attack other long-term debts that aren't bad debt, and so... To be more specific, if you're in a position where you have a mortgage, fair enough. Mortgages aren't bad debt, you know. From a from a financial point of view and a wealth building point of view, mortgages are good because they're long term debt, and ultimately, if your house inflates in value over a twenty or thirty year period, that is going to pay the interest that you've paid over time plus more. So that gets pushed aside for now. The thing that people need to be doing is getting rid of consumer debt and avoiding consumer debt as much as possible. You know, and things like taking contract purchases on vehicles that are going to be hundreds of euros a month or hundreds of pounds a month, more than what somebody really should be spending, puts you in a position where your disposable income starts to fall. And instead of trying to build income higher and higher and higher, it's really disposable income that people should be should be focused on. And so you could earn 50 grand a year or 50,000 euros a year. But if you spend 50,000 euros a year, then you're in the exact same position as somebody who earns 20 grand and spends 20 grand. 
But if you're somebody who earns 60 grand a year and you only spend half of it, or your lifestyle and your costs only equate the 70 or 80% of that, then you've got free money at the end of the day that could put you in a better position than anybody else. Um, and obviously, you know, that's probably a term that you've heard before called lifestyle creep. And it's just the more money people earn, the more money that they spend, which in reality, the more money you earn, you should be drawing a line under the sand at some point in your life. They say, this is a suitable lifestyle for this point in time, for the next period of time. What do I do with the rest of my money now? They, they change my future. You know what I mean? And so yeah. they round it up in a nutshell. If you've got that, you need to understand where you are today in terms of what what your starting point is, where's the starting line. And then you have to figure out from there, what are you trying to achieve and where are you trying to go? And then you work backwards. So if you have a hundred grand in a mortgage, five grand in a credit card, five grand in a personal loan, and you find yourself constantly using those facilities, they support your lifestyle, buy holidays, or purchase holidays last minute that you can't really afford, then that all needs to stop and you need to eradicate them. And then you can start to use them to your advantage, um, especially credit cards. You know, people are very scared of credit cards. And for for what reason, I don't know why. Um, for example, in the US, credit cards are life. You know, people um, really use credit cards to their advantage. And I believe the same. And that's how I use mine here in the UK. But it's a matter of using it in a way to, number one, build credit. And number two, mm-hmm. control what you're doing with your money. I think that's probably what they're, sorry to interrupt, I think that's probably what people are afraid of, I'd say, is the addiction, like the lack of self-control. And like, you know, if you have, just say you've got 3,000 euro limit on your credit card and, you know, you're living off that and suddenly something comes up and you're like, oh, fuck it, yeah, I'll just get that, you know, and then suddenly you just feel like you've no control over your finances, I suppose, is probably what frightens people. Exactly. And so at that point, what some people will realize then is, I've got three grand of credit card debt on a on a credit card and I'm getting paid 2,000 euro a month and then they're throwing 1,000 euro after they pay all their bills at their credit card but they're actually getting charged two or 300 euro of interest or 100 euro of interest or whatever. So you're you're swimming against the tide, Kate. No, you're swimming and swimming and swimming whereas the real way to do that, if you don't have any personal loans, personal loans are a lot cheaper than credit cards so it's either take a loan, clear the debt and pay down the loan over time at a fixed interest rate that you're not going to be charged through the teeth for or cut the cards up, stop spending money and start throwing everything that you have at it, you know, to get it done, to get it done. And so from, from, de- from, you know, debt, obviously there's a few different ways that people can deal with debt is, you know, you can avalanche it where you just throw everything at it and your lifestyle comes way down to near nothing so that you can clear your debt. You've got the process where you attack your debts from smallest to largest starting with the highest interest rate, which is generally going to be credit cards. And then you have a thing called snowflake payments, which is any spare money that you ever have, a euro, two euro, four euro, five euro, you pay it off your debt over time. And that will sort of trickle down and the, and the debt will get smaller. So it all depends on people's debt. But in reality, you shouldn't be scared. You should not be scared of debt. You know, there's people out there that are building 50 or 100 million pound property portfolios and businesses off the back of debt as long as it's managed properly does that make sense yeah I suppose and I know a lot of people listening will be like okay that makes so much sense and are probably a bit like me and 
like when when you're in the middle of it i find it very hard to understand so you're talking interest rates and i'm thinking i'm like what debt have i left of like we you know we still have like a credit card that we're paying off we still have a, a credit union loan um, okay. and then obviously our mortgage mortgage i don't see as debt i feel like, yeah mortgage is a you know is a lifestyle choice which you know which is fine student loans as well if people have student loans in the uk they're not really yeah. that are bad debt so just push them aside for now it's consumer yeah. debt need to be focused on all. it's yeah so it's what the money you're spending on things you don't need whereas like if i suppose a student loan is nearly an it's an investment in your future in a yeah. way yeah. um yeah so that's that's different yeah so i suppose i wouldn't even my sorry my point there is i don't think i'd even know what my interest rates are on my um on my loans and my credit card like i know like i've been taught credit card is bad you know or as in if you have a credit card you use it and you clear it each month is that right yeah Exactly, yeah. So using clear, using clear. Credit cards are always going to be the most expensive consumer debt, and essentially, the less credit that you have, the younger you are, um, the higher the interest rate's going to be. Until you get to a point where you start to establish better relationships and you've got a better credit score and your finances are more predictable, and that's what it's all about. It's about predictability from from the bank's perspective or the lender's perspective, so that you can get access to credit that has cheaper limits, and so. Um, to be fair, I don't talk about my own finances a lot, but I have a I have a credit card, right? And the I have credit cards actually. I've got a few, and the percentage interest on mines is between eight and ten percent, which is very low for credit cards. Mm. The average credit card will be twenty five or thirty percent, and so if I'm ever caught in a position where I need to make a big purchase, or I need to um, get access to money quickly. Which never happens, obviously. It's just the way that I've set myself the up. Safety net, yes. Yeah, safety it's net. a safety net, but I know that it's not going to be hugely expensive for me if I have to carry that cost over a period of six or twelve months because I know the interest rate is low. Whereas mm. the next person will go, well, I'm going to go to Dubai next week, and it's going to or next three months time, and it's going to cost me five grand. So they'll put it on their credit card. I'm not trying to attack anybody here, by the way. Um, no. But the interest rate will mean that they're going to actually get charged. 200 euro or 250 euro or pounds every month for the next three months until they go unless they're chipping that down and then there you go you're 750 pound or euro deeper than you were when you started without actually realizing it so um from my point of view you know i've made a few assumptions in the past where i sometimes because of my position assume that people know a wee bit more than what they actually do and so whenever people have credit cards the first thing that you should be doing if you're making a bigger purchase is using not percent transfer or not percent credit cards, which is where you get, you know, two years of not percent. So you can make a big purchase, pay it down over two years, and you don't get charged any interest at all, right? Oh, okay. Because that's one style of credit card. And then you've got credit building credit cards, which are generally higher interest. You've got credit cards that provide you with travel points or travel mines, like an American Express, which I also have myself. Um, and so people who this is a good outcome actually anybody who is carrying any sort of credit card debt at the moment for the past while and into the future look and they transfer in that and they are an up percent credit card because the, the interest stops for two years and then you can pay it down quicker okay sorry so you could you could have just say you've got 2000 debt on a credit card yeah you can contact the bank or diff, different banks and find a not percent credit card to transfer your debt over to. Yes, so they'll charge you a small fee, like maybe one or two percent. But say, for example, you're you're two thousand pound on a credit card, for example, and you're getting charged fifty euro every month. That's six hundred euro a year extra you're paying because of that balance on your credit card, 
which is if you can find a credit card provider, I don't know if they do these in Ireland, by the way, Kate, but they definitely do them in the UK. But there's definitely, I have a lot of UK listeners as well, yeah, so yeah. this is UK, useful information. You yeah. transfer your 2000 to a not percent card, and then they'll charge you 1% or 2% of the balance of your card as a fee for doing that for you, because you're not going to be paying any interest. And then you basically just set up a direct debit for two years or 18 months or however long it is. They clear the balance of the card in that period of time, and then it's done. That's done, yeah. That makes sense? Yeah, that makes so much sense. Um, I suppose that kind of leads into then my next question around budgeting. So yeah. obviously, in order to be able to have the self-restraint, like when I'm hearing you say that you have these different credit cards and, you know, you yeah. know, if you if you put a, a large expense that comes up onto it and then you're able to forward think to make it to be like, this is going to be paid off by next August or whatever, yeah. um, mm-hmm. that involves obviously budgeting. Um, yeah. So I suppose what's like, and that's something I got, I got, my sister got me a present for Christmas last year. She was very concerned about my money mindset now that I'm a business owner. She's like, you need yeah. to work on your mindset around money. Uh-huh. Um, so she got me this, you know, the he- you probably don't know, the head plan, they have like a, um, the head plan is an Irish company, but they do like okay. journals and stuff, but they have okay. like a financial journal. Yeah. And so it works with you on your money mindset, but it's also, you know, set up for like for monthly budgeting as well. And um, mm-hmm. so I started doing that at the beginning of the year and um, really like you're, you're probably like, well, there's people who don't budget. But, you know, a lot of us never did really yeah. budget. It's like oh, I get paid, especially if you get paid a certain amount, you know, like a decent enough salary, like a teacher salary or, or you yeah. know, something like that, that you're like, there's enough money there. Like, you know, if we run it, we'll just throw it on the credit, you know, and you don't really think about it. And then suddenly you're like, shit, I'm so broke. <laughs> um, so I suppose budgeting, if yeah. we know it's important, yeah. what 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 should we be doing? Right, the crack, here's the crack then. So obviously everybody's views or perspective on budgeting will change depending on what they are. But, you know, just because you earn a lot of money doesn't mean you shouldn't be loosely budgeting your money. Um, and the most common budgeting method that people will come across is what's called the 50-30-20 rule. Have you ever heard of that? No. Right. So that's 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 okay. That's fine. So a 50-30-20 rule is a very loose method for people to manage their money um, month to month or, or however they get paid. And it basically means that 50% of your income can be allocated towards your needs, which is basically your fixed expenditure, your mortgage in some cases, this is very loosely applied because people might be paying a lot of money for childcare for, for a period of years, for example. Um, but anything that you have to pay for direct debit-wise every month to keep your life afloat, that should fall generally. That's, that's such a grey area, though, isn't it? Because some people will be like, I need this brand new car. Yeah, I know that. I know that. Yeah. But, you know, that's that's up to the person to decide if they want to get into that. Yeah. Then 30% should be for your wants. Which is basically your lifestyle discretionary spending, discretionary spending. Yeah. And then twenty percent should be savings and investments or pensions or whatever it may be, right? So that's very loose, Kate. Um, yeah. But you know, there's particular periods of time where I'll say to people, you know, at the end of the day, everybody's life is so different. You know, whenever you have children, if you're lucky enough to have them, whenever you buy your first property, if you live abroad for a few years, everybody's life is not on not on the same you know, road, it's not all going the same direction at the same speed. And so these things have to be applied with, you know, some context or some subjectivity to your own life. And so, you know, at the end of the day, if you get to a point where somebody's got a whole lot of debt because they weren't managing their money before, then they're not going to be able to fit their lifestyle or their finances under that 50, 30, 20 setup. Mm-hmm. And so it could be a case where it's, 
60% for your needs and then 20% for your wants and 20% for your savings. Or it could be 60% for your needs, 30% for your wants and 10% for your savings. But the context or the premise behind it is that you are covering your business. You're covering the things that you need to pay for. You're allocating a certain, certain amount of money for your own life and for your own you know, mental capacity and mental ability. Like, so you can actually feel like you're not just working for no reason. And then you have to allocate some money to put towards the future or for your own benefit down the line. And it doesn't have to be a huge deal of money. But what I found um, from my experience with clients is when you're in the cycle of getting paid, clearing credit cards, using credit cards again, with no real security behind you, i.e., you know, four or five grand for emergencies, you know, you're never going to be able to get out of that cycle unless you start to build a, wee, a small pot in the background that you can call on if the car breaks or the boiler breaks or you need money tomorrow. And that's where most people get caught. And so, depending on what you can put away and that five or 10 or 20% for, for savings or investments, that will dictate how long it's going to take you to get out of the cycle because some people will think it's counterintuitive if they've got lots of debt to be saving on the side. But unless you save, you're never going to be in the position where you can not uh, use credit facilities that you have. Does that make sense? So you yeah. have to, even if it takes two years for you to build up a couple of thousand euro for your own safety, then so be it. It's going to take two years. But until you get to that point, Anytime you need any more than a couple of hundred euro, it's going on a credit card or you're taking a loan for it. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, yeah, I suppose like I wouldn't have prioritized that. Like I would have all like, you know, for a long time, like uh, we have three kids. So we, we yeah. paid a lot in childcare as well, which would have yeah. also added to our financial stress. So and I'm, I just keep using my own life as, a, as context because yeah, it's okay. good, to kind of use, good to have, like, I suppose, like a, um, yeah, a context to, to use it off. But yeah. um, like so we when we would be would have been earning and then um, paying childcare, you know, all the, the, the needs and everything, there'd be very little left for the wants and then you'd be paying a credit card or whatever. So yeah. like we didn't save like at all, like we wouldn't have put anything by because anything spare would have gone to the debt. So you're saying yeah. that you should still, obviously you're trying to clear your debt as in a reasonable way as possible and the, yeah. the higher percentage rates you want to do quicker, but you should all, but not to, the, not at the detriment of your savings. Yes. That's what you're saying. You should still save money, even if it's 50 euro a month or 25 euro a month, but you still have to save because, you know, and again, to use your situation for context, Kate, you bought a house when you were young and the way that you acquired your house was basically just, you just went, I'll do whatever it takes basically to get this house right now, which is fair enough. So yeah. your situation might be so different to somebody else who, or a couple who waited until they were 35, they buy a new built house in Wicklow or Wexford or Galway yeah. or london or whatever it may be and so demographics of your area matter you know if you live in dublin or Limerick or galway that's expensive well a lot of republic is expensive at the moment but yeah. or you live in major capital cities then your financial financials are going to be so different to somebody who lives in you know like uh more affordable areas of the country yeah Anything, so you know? like longford or leitrim or somewhere in the middle yeah. of the country i often think i'm like maybe i'll move there <laughs> buy a like big piece of land <laughs> well that, that and that's what i'm saying so you know at this point in time you've obviously had to pay for a lot of child care because you know two people in, in the family might be professionals that are out working and you've got three kids but you have to consider the other side of it where you purchased the house when you were young 
And so, albeit you don't have physical cash in the bank, that was still an investment in itself back then. And so, all these years ahead, you've probably got a, a, a comfortable gap between what your mortgage is and what your house is worth. And so, mm. yeah. from a property point of view, you're secure there. You're not in the position where you've just bought a half a million euro or a half a million pound new built house with a 5% deposit and the interest rates on the mortgages are flying up and down and you're going to basically be on the brink of not being able to pay your mortgage anymore. So you've got the security on that side of your life. So now exactly. if you think, right, if I can build a bit of security on the other side of my life, no, I'm, I'm not assuming that you have, or have not been saving, but that will just alleviate so much stress. And that's the way I think about it. It's not about becoming a millionaire. It's about getting comfortable. And once you yeah. get comfortable, then you can decide, well, how comfortable do I really want to be? How much do I want to commit to growing investments or getting more savings or paying on the pensions? Because eventually, once you get into a certain uh, amount of savings, Kate, it's not going to provide any utility anymore because it's going to cost you money, right? And so say you save, generally the rule of thumb for emergency funds is three to six months of, ex of expenditure plus a thousand euro. So say you spend two grand a month, you should really be trying to save seven grand. So that, that means if nobody can work, everybody gets sick, that you can support yourselves for three months and then you have a grand in case uh, something goes wrong, like with a boiler or a car or something like that, right? Is that you with me? Yeah. And so after that, if you've got seventy, ten thousand euro or pounds saved and that's what you need to support yourself in the short term, you can have some more savings, you know, for peace of mind, just general peace of mind. But there's no point in you saving 50,000 euros because inflation just eats the value of it. So even mm -hmm. even though you've got all this money in the bank, it's not actually working for you. And so then that becomes counterproductive. And at that point, then you're thinking, should I be paying on the pension? Should I be paying on the you know, stocks and shares in the UK? Or the I don't think there's stocks and shares in the Republic, but you can still invest in the markets. And all these types of things, they start to scale up you know, your financials. And so... They come back to it anyway, yes, you should be prioritising paying off your debt, but you should also be squirrelling away small amounts of money mm -hmm. through direct debit to a credit union or a bank account or something out of the way, you know, just as a, as a habit more than anything, but also to mm -hmm. support yourself going forward. Yeah, I know that there'll be some people listening to this now that will feel extremely overwhelmed. First of all, I do want to come back into to talk about investment, which we'll do in a minute. But I just yeah, kind of want sure. to tie up talking about and um, talking in relation to people who are really struggling at the minute. And then we can kind of go go the other side of things. Um, like I suppose, and you you touched on the point. If you're living in London, if you're living in Dublin, if you're living in Belfast, if you're living in Cork, you know these big cities, um, it's the cost of living is much higher. And yes. the cost of living is getting worse. And I know a lot of people are really feeling the pressure um, and that there really isn't anything to spare. Like people, I think people, some people will listen to this and be like, and you're, you're talking these percentages and these numbers and savings and stuff. And they're like, yeah, that's great. But I don't fucking have it. Like, you know, yeah. and, they, and it's literally like, I sometimes I don't know where, I'm, like, I'm sorry, I'm just talking as if I'm someone, not me personally, but I'm sure there are families that are like, I don't know if we have enough money for the weekly shopping this week. Like I've yeah. noticed that even here in the Republic, like um, the shot, the cost of weekly shopping for me now, we were a family of five. So my, my weekly shopping used to be about 200 euro a, a week. 
yeah, it's now 300 euro a week. It's, in, it's increased by 100 yeah. euro a week. So we, I spend 300 a week on groceries. So like that's 1200, that's a mortgage repayment on feeding your family. So like cost of living has gone up hugely, which is going to aff- affect everything. So I suppose it really will come down to, to, it does come down to budgeting and awareness and be like, okay, I'm not going to panic and all these shoulds, but looking, okay, this is what's coming in. This is what has to go out. Where can I cut costs? Where can I make things a bit easier? And is yeah. there a way to put even yeah like even a five or a week a ten or a week anything yeah. away a week it doesn't sound like a lot right but i'm coming back to my um statement about subjectivity if you've got three kids right and you're you're working and your partner's working and you're paying for childcare, then obviously you have to accept the fact that at the point in your life you cannot go be aggressive and saving or investing because it's just not your priority and so yeah. that's why I always say these things have to be applied loosely and they are only a rule of thumb because you could basically be two pe- two people in a family earning 50 or 60 grand a year each, right? Which is a very, very good income. You know, the average income in the UK is 30 odd thousand, right? And so if you have children and you're paying a thousand pound or a thousand euro for childcare every month, then all you have to do in that position is accept it and say, this is a position that we're in now. We know when it's going to end, probably when our kids go to school. And we have to make some very small provision now. But ultimately, we are we have to sit tight. This is the choices that we've made and this is what we have to deal with for the next five years. And then whenever you free up that money, then that's when you start to apply the, the methods. You know, at the end of the day, there's no point in me sitting here um, and in no way am I trying to be aloof and saying that everybody should be putting 20% of their earnings and the savings. I know mm-hmm. that's not sustainable for a lot of people, mm-hmm. especially if your mortgage has just went up by 500 euro a month or you're paying for childcare or your rent in London or Dublin is now 16 or 1700 euro a month, which I know people who pay it. The, the thing that I'm trying to say is, this is why I'm saying it's very subjective. And so when people come along to see me and they talk about these things, I tell them this um, and it's more so the help them not be stressed and think that they're not in the right place in their lives because your friends who could be also earning the same amount of money but have no kids and don't own a home could be saving 2,000 euro a month for whatever reason but they are in a different, different, completely different place in their life than you so you have to stay in your own lane and try not to look over the fences the other sides and see what's going on in, in the next door neighbor's garden or their life yeah like it it literally just it's the same with like you know when we're talking health and fat loss like it's the compa- comparison is the teeth of joy and I think when we were in that situation I was very like looking around like oh my god they there you're going on this holiday and they're you know and these people have so much more money or they have a nice car you know and I would be very aware of it and and shoulds I should be saving oh god something terrible is going to happen and I'll have no money and you know even though like I have a fantastic family that would 100% like help out ever if needed and I knew that as well so that was a nice safety net but I suppose I might ask you a question right so what what age are you I am 37 right and so uh, all your peers do they all have three children um no not all of them right okay and so did any of them buy a house whenever they were in their early 20s no this is actually where I was going with it yeah and so you're basically on the opposite side of them because you're feeling all the pressure now when you're young but then whenever you had 40 what age is your oldest kid 13 right so your kids are what what age is your youngest so I I have a 13 year old a 10 year old and a five year old right so five say you've got 13 years until you're out of the gates right well your kids are all 18 plus and they're all 
you know, trying to do their own thing. Essentially, it could be going to uni or whatever. So, at the end of the day, by the time you had 50, and I know that sounds, you know, scary, but a lot of your work has been done, and by then, you know, a lot of your mortgage will be cleared, and blah, blah, blah. Whereas some of your friends or your peers, if they only start having children when they're 35 or 40, then they're not going to be in that position until they're nearly 60. And so, you're going to have 10 years on them whenever you get the getting your kids out of the house down the line where you can start, you know, doing what you need to do for your own, for your own self, for your own life. Whereas then people should really be doing that now before they have their children because it's going to be too late for them by the time they get the 60. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah it does make sense. And that's kind of what, where I was going to go with it. Like I was literally like, yeah, that you need to kind of look at where you are in your life and be like grateful that first of all, yeah, that's you have three children because not everyone can have children and will give anything to be broke and have three children and then and yet the security of having our own home that we've been paying off since 2009 is is huge like you know and um to have been in that position and it is very much yeah everyone's lifestyle is different so anyone who's in that this situation and uh, from someone who's kind of coming out the other side of that now already now with a career change has helped you know and setting up my own business puts me in a different financial position but also um the not having childcare anymore and that does come around quite fast actually exactly and so uh, for me personally right it's a, it's more important that you figure out where you are now and then you're trying to figure out where you want to go so that's adb and then you have to make a plan to go from adb because everybody's a and everybody's b is going to be completely different there's so many people that go like well i know x y and z and they earn this amount of money and they're doing this that and the other but that is completely irrelevant because it's basically like comparing, you know, somebody who's trying to be a bodybuilder and somebody who's trying to lose weight. It's completely different. Mm-hmm. And so some of the factors might be something similar. You know, some of the, the things that you have to employ are transferable. But at the end of the day, it's a completely different process. And so if you just put the goggles on and stay tunnel vision and try and figure out what you're trying to do, then you can achieve it yourself instead of always looking around going, oh, I would have loved to have done that and I would have loved to have done that because, you know, then from a satisfaction point of view, you've got nothing. Yeah, and it is, it's it's literally like your own health and fitness journey. Know your goals, know your values and stick to them and be exactly. patient and be exactly. consistent. Be patient and consistent is the most, you know, the three most important things probably in, in your line of work too is patience, discipline, and time time is the biggest yeah. place and people think in financial markets and we'll come on to this and know that but in, in investing money and getting money to grow and getting money to provide a return that you have to get the biggest amount of return that you can get like for example in the fat loss game people want to say well i want to lose 10 pound this week whereas you would probably rather see them lose two pound for five weeks straight not 10 pound in the one week it's exactly the same the more time that you have, the more of a snowball effect you can create. And yeah. it is much more valuable to have more time than it is to be more aggressive, is what I'm saying. And I'll explain that a wee bit more when we come on to it. But you're you're exactly right. Know your goal, know where you're trying to go and be consistent on the way on the way through it. Yeah, and find something that you can actually enjoy your life on the journey of it because at the exactly. end of the day it's gonna take time. That's um a big part of how I give financial advice to you it's i always say to people all we need to do is set up a plan that we know is comfortable that you can fit into your finances today and that if anything changes in your finances you can still sustain it and then 
give it time, leave it alone, be disciplined, be committed, and it'll all work out for you. Just yeah. get out of your own way, which is what I call it. Get out of your own way and leave yourself alone so that you can do what you want to do. That's amazing. And a really good way to finish this first section. Because I think we're going to, like when I'm doing the introduction here, I'll, I'll kind of introduce this as two sections because there's going to be two types of people listening here. And yeah. so that's for people in that situation where they're looking to improve their financial health, I suppose. So let's talk a little bit about then anyone who is at the stage of their lives where they have that extra income. And like you said, savings are only good to a certain point. And then they start your savings start costing you, and you need to do something with your do something with your money. And then we're talking about investment, and this is something that I know really very little about, but right. I'm really interested in because it's somewhere that I something that I obviously will want to do down the line. Yeah. So please talk a little bit about um, investment and your advice okay. around it. So before I go on to that, I just wanted to explain one thing that's become yeah. a factor in the last couple of years. So after the 2008 crash the interest rates around Europe and the UK were very, very low. So nobody had any real um, reason to save money because the interest rates were so low. But because interest rates have got so high in the last 18 months after COVID and whatever's happened, there is also an attraction to just saving money in either high-yield savings accounts or fixed-term savings accounts that can get you 4 5 and 6% interest a year, guaranteed. Okay without the risk of investment, right? And so whenever somebody comes to us now or comes to me and says, I've got a hundred grand here from X, Y, or Z reason and I want to do something with it, but I also am quite cautious, risk averse, and I want to be able to access my money in a few years' time, then we will go straight to, you know, fixed savings or short-term savings with high interest because that's the right thing to do. And so coming back to what I said at the start of this is about, just because you can do something doesn't mean you have to do it. You know, sometimes it's better to wait. And that's what I'm talking about now is sometimes investments are on the cards. But is it better to just take advantage of something else now in the short term before we move on to that? Because it's a, it's a step in a different direction. So I'm um, coming on to what you've asked anyway. All right, before you go on to it then, I suppose just to make the point then, if anyone's coming to this decision, they have, yeah, like to say someone's got 50 grand or 100 grand, or, you know, or they start, they've started to earn a lot more money than they did before and they, they need to put it somewhere or do something with it. Um, that is really when they would want to maybe hire someone like yourself to, to give them advice on what might be, to help them make the yeah, right decision. Have a, have a conversation at least. Um, yeah. At the end of the day, uh, my, my way of operating is to be quite approachable. Um, we don't charge for our time we don't charge for people to come and see us and so I'm happy enough to sit on video calls with anybody around the UK and just have a chat and have a cup of tea because that's the way the Irish do it at the end of the day you know, it's, we, we know what we're talking about I've got qualifications coming out in the years but it's more about trying to do it in a way that people can relate to so that they don't feel intimidated by talking to somebody like me and that's why I haven't worn a shirt and tie today I just don't think it was needed you know but Exactly. Um, the answer is yes um, have a conversation with somebody in your area or somebody that you feel that is approachable and just go through the go through the structure for yeah. us and for me as a financial planner there was new laws that came out and on the 31st of July from the UK government called consumer duty and they have basically zoned in on the whole purpose of what we do is they give clients good outcomes it's all about good outcomes so anything we do has to be a good outcome for the client. So and we have it to can't. Do. It can't be about what what you're trying to sell them something. It has to be nah. 
giving yeah. them the best options. Yeah, yeah. Okay, not, that's not, especially not for me because I represent the biggest company in the UK um, that does that does this, and I'm not mentioning their name for safety purposes. But of course, yeah. uh, when it's all said and done, the the firm that I work as part of looks after a hundred and fifty billion pound um, of people's money, and so they are a big outfit. Um, more so than independent guys or guys that you'll find in the corner of the street. We are really buying on that door of everything that we do or say has to be a good outcome for, for somebody that we speak to, even if it means that we don't get paid, which is fine. Yeah. You know, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, coming on the investment. So if you've got either a high disposable income or a certain amount of money that you've accumulated, inherited, sold a business and ended up with, you know, there's a range of things that you can do. Um, and the range of those things will uh, vary from uh, or be based on two major concepts and that is the amount of time you're going to invest for and your ability to access money so there's no point in me giving somebody advice to invest their 50 grand in a pension that they can't access for 30 years if they've told me that they're going to need that money in three or four years time or 10 years time does that make sense yeah, if you need to live off the money, you need to yes. have... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so access or liquidity, what we call it, it becomes a major factor in the type of investment products that you could potentially choose. Also, the time horizon, which is the length of time that you're considering parting with your money for the future. Yeah. Um, Sorry, just, just to, to pause it there, and I just, I'm just conscious that maybe we should define what investment means for some people. Yeah, sure. Okay. So invest in money is essentially whenever you put your money to work, either your free income or money that you have on deposit or in cash in the bank, you put that to work by investing in the financial markets through stocks, fixed interest, which is government or corporate debt in most, most circumstances, property, um, alternatives, which includes um, the oil and gas industry, commodities, precious metals, and cash is one of the assets too so essentially you take some of your money or your income and you're injecting that into financial markets or brick and mortar property in a way to generate more returns or to grow the value of your money for your benefit in the future is that a good explanation yeah so to, so that your money you're basically your it's passive income isn't that the, the idea that it's money is making money well not maybe not passive but that your money is making money is it so passive income is is also a big topic you know you'll always hear a guy want passive income from this money but generally the way that investments are made or are, are made successful over time is you invest money for longer periods of time so it really has a chance to grow and then you can start drawing income from it in the future um, whenever it has you know showed sustainable growth so that when you draw money out of it it can still continue to grow so that it funds the income that you're taking from it whereas the misconception amongst younger people especially and the 20 your 20s for example will think i can invest twenty thousand pound and it's going to give me 500 pound or 500 euro a month that's not going to happen that's not going to happen unless you're leveraging debt and buying properties right so if you're investing money it's generally seen as a long term or a medium to long term investment where you're trying to get the value of your money to grow through compound interest which is where and i I don't want to go too deep on that because it starts to get very technical but say essentially if you have a bag of skittles right and every year that bag of skittles 
grows another another five skittles, right? So at that 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 bag of skittles produces another five skittles, and instead of you eating those skittles, you decide that you're going to put the skittles back into the bag, and then that bag is now bigger, so that produces seven skittles the next year, and then you continually do that, and over time the effects will compound, and it grows your money more, and that ultimately leads to a higher output, and so. When it comes to passive income, that's not how passive income works, because any income that your investments will produce, you're reinvesting it back in, so that your investment gets bigger, so it produces more passive income, reinvest it, and cycle and cycle and cycle until your money is much larger. Then you start to draw an income from it. But that you know that is that's a higher level of um, investment. Whenever people are investing ten, twenty, thirty, fifty, a hundred, or a million quid, which is not generally accessible for a lot of people, Kate. Most people will be investing from their free income or their disposable income, which will entail monthly or regular contributions to things like stocks and shares, ISAs, and pensions in the UK, or pensions in the Republic, or equivalent um, investment products that will let you invest in the financial markets. So that's why I am a big advocate of, of focusing on increasing your disposable income more than anything um, because that then gives you the ability to potentially pay into investments right and so do you want me to cover types of investments in more detail or what do you want me to do um i suppose i'd like to keep it broad enough like because i don't want to lose people too much on this so yeah um i'm like so you're talking so pensions property Yeah. stocks so when, when you say stocks does that mean like that you put your money in like a stock being like a, a, a share in like a business or something like that is that what it and the uk stocks and shares ices are basically a, a a product where you can invest money and the money within that can then be invested in the in the global markets so you are generally going to be buying parts of investment funds which are basically big baskets of lots and lots of different company shares so that you're buying a slice of many things instead of a bigger slice of one thing. Um, and that means that you create diversity and reduce risk in your products. But things like stocks and shares ISIS, you invest in the markets, which will be stocks. And you can invest in shares and property companies and you can buy um, securities that are linked to oil and gas and commodities and all these types of things. But they're tax efficient. No stocks and shares ISAs, any money that you make, you don't pay any tax on them. And then that's when you get yourself in the position where you're loading money into these things like stocks and shares ISAs or pensions, and the money can grow tax-free within them. And then that amplifies the ability for you to get your money to grow more and more and more over time, which ultimately is for your benefit in the future. And so it'll be a struggle, to be honest, Kate, to keep, to keep it broad, but also be specific because... Yeah investments are essentially a way of deploying your money where you can get it to grow more but there's a huge range of ways that you can do that um yeah. and pensions are the same but they focus on different levels of access pensions you can't access for a long time until you're 55 or 57 or 60 years old or whatever it is in ireland it's 55 in the uk at the moment and then things like stocks and share sizes you can access them at any point in your life you know whenever you want down the line so yeah. it all depends on on the subjectivity of somebody's circumstances is what i'm saying but yeah i don't think we're going i, I was going to go into pensions but in general i, th- I think because of time 
that would de- that we could definitely spend nearly a whole podcast on you could, you could. on pensions, um, which might be you know maybe further down the line something that we maybe we could do for sure because especially if I get some feedback that people really want to hear more about pensions, absolutely. Because I think if we go down there, we'll just we'll run out of time. It's, it's um, a yeah, I suppose so. Let's talk because so pensions obviously. It, first, we'll just will we just say about pensions? You would advise that is definitely something that someone should be putting a bit of their money into so that they have a bit of security as they get older, I would imagine. Yeah, definitely. I'll just give you a 10-second roundup is pensions are a way of saving for your long-term retirement. But in putting money on the pensions, you get tax relief or it's tax. there's tax benefits and, and involved with that. And ultimately, it's a long-term savings plan that helps you save money so that you can live off it in the future. Um, yeah. And for, for companies, um, whenever people are directors of loving companies in the Republic, any money that they put on the pension can be a tax deductible expense for their business. So and okay. we can cover that in more detail next time if you like. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it's definitely something that people should seek advice on. Stay in your workplace pension. Don't ever opt out of your workplace pension wherever you are because it's free money from your employer. And if you need any, yeah. you know, obviously information on it, then make sure you speak to a professional about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. So then in relation then to investments, let's not go into the, the too much into the type okay. of investment, but you're like, okay, you're going to have to get more specific to answer my question. But you could take, you could take, if I ask a question and you need to be more specific, just take an example of what you think um, best suits. But um, so you put money in, and like you said, it's long-term. So your bag of Skittles, you're, you're building, you're getting more, adding more and more Skittles over time, kind of like yes. savings, except when you, when, when you throw in one Skittle, it might multiply a little bit by being in this investment fund yeah. is that right so but it doesn't have to be as long term as a pension so can you what my question is just say you invest ten thousand yeah. euro and you leave it for a certain yeah. amount of time and you can take your money back whenever you want in yes. full but can you also set yourself up with a little kind of monthly salary from it not in the short term unless not not from a, not from a, a an amount of money such as ten thousand euro it's just not possible so they no. give you a very broad way to look at it. If you have money and you're going to need it in the next five years, Kate, that goes on the savings, right? Savings or five-term savings yeah. that are guaranteed short-term. If you have money from you know, from your bank account that you don't need for five to 15 years or free income from your income, your disposable income, that is money that you would invest in products that are tax-efficient. They're on the markets for compound growth and you can actually access them before you're retired you know that's that's the products that you would yeah. uh, that's where you would sit there and then anything beyond that that's a pension you know that's what you're you're seeking for the long term right and so uh question was in terms of setting up passive income right there's a rule of thumb in financial markets or, or financial advice called the four percent rule and that is you can comfortably withdraw four percent of the value of your investment every year without affecting its overall value over time so you draw 4% out and your funds also grow by 4% in the markets. So you are not dwindling the value of your money. And so to give you an example, if you've invested 100 grand and you draw four or five grand out a year, but your funds also grow by four or five grand that year, then you've basically not taken any money out of it. You with me? But that's only an example for a six-figure sum. So yeah. And it's still it's still only four grand a year. Like it's not it's not That's anything. That's a general rule of thumb to be conservative, depending on someone's yeah. circumstances. But you know, if somebody is, and this is all based on the concept of sustainability in the long term, so we have to give advice 
so how people can access their money, pensions, investments, savings or whatever, so that will sustain them until they're 90 years old, so that they never run out of money. Yeah. That's the main thing. Um, whereas yeah, if you've got a hundred grand and you're drawing 20 grand out of it every year, sure it's gone in five years and then you're done. Like all that hard work that you've done is gone. You know what I mean? And so yeah. um, to answer your question, passive income is possible um, or regular withdrawals is what we would call it. But the figures have to be a lot larger. And that's why people pay in the pensions for their whole lives. Because in the essentially in the UK now, the average pension size is about 60 grand, which is nowhere near enough money to support somebody for 20 years of their life or 25 years. So people really need to be aiming for 200 grand around that and a pension whenever they're retired. And then you get the state pension as well, the national pension which is great in Ireland. It's not so great in the UK. Um, and then whenever you look at it that way, you've got a property with no debt. You've got 10 grand a year out of a out of a pension, a private pension. And then you've got another 10 or 15 grand a year out of the national pension. And there you go. You've got some money to, to survive on. And then hopefully you've got, you know, some other savings and investments behind that. And that's, that's the, the premise. So passive income on the smaller level, no, it's not possible. Um, but, for 10 grand if you invest it and that's producing some form of income then that's when we reinvest it back into the original pot they make that bigger and get it to grow more so that there is a chance of of income in the future yeah that no yeah no it's just i'm like my brain goes with all this stuff so really like investment you're talking about when when like we're again repeating myself but um when we've got a good bit of extra income and it's like i need to do something with this money i don't want it just sitting there i don't want yeah so we're putting it into something but you need to be thinking long term this is you're only going to you're not looking at your investments as giving you a salary you have enough money from your whatever your income source is this is extra yeah. you're putting it away technically it's re it really is a pension fund and but you can access it if needed before that so it's a little bit more flexible than yeah, a pension, well you would consider right? it to be medium term would be five to 15 years so if you're starting investing when you're 25 you know you really want to leave that alone for as long as you can but if you need to access it you can and that is the flip side because anybody from 20 years old to 50 years old Kate, is basically in what you call the accumulation stage of their life and that's where you're supposed to accumulate assets, accumulate money, accumulate investments and pensions. And then whenever you get the retirement, that's when you're then in the decumulation stage of your life, which is when you actually start taking money out of it all to support you. You know what I mean? So you can't, yeah. and that's a common, a common, uh, a common uh, concept of investments is people think I'll put 10 or 20 grand away, but that's going to give me three or four or 500 euro a month. It's just not possible. Unless you're, unless you're using it to buy a property and that's generating that's rent, you know what I mean? It's just not possible. Yeah. So it ha- it's a much more yeah. boring and non-glamorous, long, not long-term, I'm not saying long-term, like 25 years, but a good five or 10 years of accumulating these things so that you know that whenever you do start drawing money out of them, that they're going to sustain you. Yeah, that's really, yeah, it's quite disappointing. <laughs> Thought it was this glamorous lifestyle. Here's the reason, right? So... Say you're saving 200 quid or 200 euro a month for, for a year, right? That's 2,400 a year. Over 10 years, that's 24,000, right? So you've saved 24,000 euro or pounds over a 10-year period. But if you, instead of saving all that money in a bank account, invested it in the markets and got 
four or five or six percent growth every year, then your twenty four thousand that would have stayed in the bank would probably be worth forty. And so, and it's an it's a thing about making your money work harder than you had to work for it. Is is the premise of investments until you get to a point where you can draw from them or you want to draw from them. Whereas if you do nothing and just leave it in the bank, then it's never going to do anything for you. You know, in the long run, it's just not. So yeah. So just long term, that's what we're thinking. That it, it can be really exciting. But long long term, term, yeah. And at the end of the day, investments when they're done right, Kate, are boring. They are boring. It's not fun. It's yeah. numbers on a screen. And once you realize that it's not a gamble and it's predictable and you can actually get your money to grow properly, it just has to become a part of your life. Because at the end of the day, if you're not doing it, somebody else is going to be doing it. And that's the person 20 years down the line that's going to say, well, I can give my kids 20 grand if they want to buy a house because my money has already made it for me and I've done nothing for it. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's all about leveraging. It's leveraging the money that you have and the income that you have for the future and obviously avoiding as much tax as you can along the way. Yeah. Speaking of avoiding tax, and I'm really conscious I don't want to take up too much more yeah. of your time, but let's just talk for a couple of minutes about self-employment yes. because this is a whole new world for me. So I set up my own business there a couple of years ago, the business that we're speaking in right now, um, Kate Hamilton Health. But um, so going from being in a t- the teaching world to being in the self-employed world was literally like a mind blown kind of situation. So I suppose I pro- like I'd have some people who are, have started businesses that would be listening to this podcast, you know, that it would be small business owners. Um, and so I suppose if we just talked a little bit about like, you know, even I didn't even know what the difference between a sole trader and a limited yeah. company was. And my new favorite thing is to figure out how I can pay as little tax as possible. <laughs> but that, you know, what, what the biggest game changer for me as a business owner was learning that what can be allocated as business expenses and what needs to come out of your business yeah. account versus, you know, that if it's done right, you know, um, and you give yourself just a, a nice, reasonable salary to live off, a lot of your expenses can actually just come, your business can yeah. pay for and, you can just it's it's your groceries and your 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 lifestyle then is what your wages are for. Yeah, exactly. So obviously the 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 biggest factor in being self employed or being a limited company is personal liability and separation. So when you're self employed, you Kate Hamilton Health, you're completely responsible for everything, and everything runs through your name or Kate Hamilton Trading as Kate Hamilton Health, which you probably are. But whenever you're a limited company, you are separating that business from yourself. So that becomes its own entity. Obviously, you control that entity and you can dictate what happens with its money. But the differences between being self-employed and limited company from an expenses point of view is probably there's there's things and things that you cannot and can claim for expenses. And that all comes down to having a good accountant. And, you know, some people will say, oh, my accountant's great, but a lot of accountants are just tax collectors now. So you really have to work hard to find an accountant who is willing to go the extra mile to help you save tax in the first place, Kate, because they aren't going to sit you down and go, do X, Y, and Z, put this through your business, put this through, blah, 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 blah. Because sometimes, they just, frankly, and the, without offending any of them, they just couldn't be bothered. They just get your income. Here's your expenses that you've told them. What's the difference? Here's your tax. You know, nobody really... Um, has become that uh, proactive. They're not as proactive anymore as they used to be. Um, and it might be because they've got a lot of clients or whatever, but you know, if you feel like you're paying a lot of tax, 
speak to your accountant about it and ask them, is there anything else that I can do, right? But for being self-employed, you're exactly right. The mistake that a lot of people make is any money that comes in when they're self-employed basically gets spent, which is the wrong thing to do. You should be basically dragging in your money, keeping it in a business account, and then paying yourself a certain amount of that out of sustainability and stability out of the business account and your own account. And then that's what you live on so that you've got some sort of float and your and your self-employed business account, where if there's months where you don't do as well, that there's still money there that can that can plug that gap, and that's all about cash flow management, and that comes back again to the loose application of the 50-30-20 rule. You can apply that to your business too. You know, um, if your business brings in five grand a month, tick off whatever you need to, to cover the cost of your business, and a wee bit more just for a rainy day in case something goes wrong. And then you can pay yourself the rest of it. Does that make sense? Yeah, that yeah, that makes so much sense. Yeah. Um, and so, whenever you're self-employed, the things that you can do to reduce your tax will be the general reduction of of your income through expenses. You know, like the more you can write off, the less you've earned, and so the less tax you'll pay. But the difficult thing about that is, if you reduce your income so much where you've earned 60 grand, but your income net profits is only 20 grand, then if you try and get a mortgage, the bank is going to base the mortgage off the 20, not the 60. And this is... Oh, interesting. So they're like, I don't want to pay tax. don't want to pay tax. don't want to pay tax. But then they want to borrow money and the bank says, well, your profits is only 15 grand a year. You can only borrow 50 grand and then you're snookered. So um, that that makes the context slightly different. And that is very stereotypical with tradesmen um people in the trades who they only have a certain profit they keep their taxes low but then they can't borrow money to buy a house so that's a balancing act right i never even thought about that probably because i have a house yeah so um (laughs) yeah it's not something i've thought about and so yeah whatever in that circumstance you have to think well i need to put have a certain amount of profits and pay a wee bit more tax so be it if i want to buy a property for a certain period of time so that you can borrow the money. But then after you've got the house bought, then you just bring your profits back down again, do as low as you can. They avoid paying yeah. much tax, right? But then some people will say, well, should I be limited instead? And the difference is you, Kate, obviously at the moment have full responsibility of whatever happens in your business. And in terms of what you do and um, indemnity wise, you know, if you had a business that was responsible for other people's physical health and if they get injured or anything like that then that's on you but if you move your business to a limited liability company then that uh, personal responsibility is removed because the company as as an entity is now responsible not you personally that's why you call it limited liability and so any debt say for example you took a loan of 50,000 euro to develop your business yeah and you couldn't pay that loan anymore personally as as Kate Hamilton Health sole trader then the bank could basically make you sell your house to pay off the loan. Whereas yes. if you have a limited company, all that liability is separated from you as long as there's no personal guarantees. And worst comes to worst, a, a business can go bankrupt and that doesn't affect you, right? Yeah, it doesn't affect everything you've built in your yeah, life. Which is quite morbid, but you know, that's the way business, that's yeah. the way business works, you know. I and mean, hopefully that yeah, never happen. Can anyone move to a limited company? Like, do you need to be earning a certain amount a year before it makes sense to do that? Yeah, because the way limited company taxes work is 
you personally now you will pay um, a certain level of tax. It's probably it's like twenty percent and then forty percent over a certain amount in Ireland. And so, yeah. say you pull in eighty grand in a particular year of profits, you have to pay forty percent on a lot of that money, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas when you're a limited yeah. company, your limited company pays twelve and a half percent corporation tax on your profits, which is okay. much less. And then you have to draw your own salary or your own dividends out of that company then at personal tax rates. So if you... Okay. You go on to PAYE then. Is this like you're literally becoming an employee in your own business? Yeah, so you pay yourself a small salary and then dividends. And the reason for that is if if you personally, as self-employed, make 80 grand, then you're paying 40% tax on a whole load of that 80 grand. Whereas if you're a limited company and you pull in 80 grand, then you only pay 12.5% on the 80 and then you only pay 20 or 40 on any money that you actually draw out of the business. So you can manipulate the taxes a lot more when you're a limited company. Um, and so generally that'll be, uh, in the UK, whenever you hit the VAT threshold, which is like 85 grand a year, you would probably be better off limited. Um, and the UK is something, you know, it, it just depends. Ask your accountant. Yeah, that's something to, to, that, to ask your accountant about. But in general, once you're reaching the VAT threshold, it's definitely something you should be thinking of moving to, to limit a company, yeah? In the UK, yeah, for deaths. But you see, every business is different as well, Kate, because, you know, and sometimes in your industry, that can be like a highly profitable business because it doesn't, the cost of sale isn't that high. Whereas if somebody has a business where the cost of goods is quite high, then their profits are smaller. So if you're in a lucrative business where you have got a 90% profitability rate, then being limited will be more beneficial, even if you earn slightly less. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So Yes, yeah, so if your taxable income is high enough, is kind of what you mean, is it? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. At the end of the day, if you're, if you're in a position where you're earning 60 or 70, 50, 60, 70 grand a year, you should definitely be thinking about going limited. You know, you should. Because it just makes your life a wee bit easier. Especially if you're a higher rate taxpayer. If you're a higher rate taxpayer in any jurisdiction, you should be thinking about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If you're up at that 40% tax bracket. Yeah. 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 Below that, it doesn't make a lot of a difference. Because, for example, in the UK, if you have um, a limited company, you pay 19% corporation tax at minimum on your profits in the company. And then you can draw money as a salary and a dividend. And so... The setup in the UK will be pay your corporation tax. You draw a 12,000, 12 and a half grand a year salary at not percent because you can earn 12 and a half grand in the UK before you pay tax. Okay. And then after that, you will take so about 37 and a half thousand as a dividend, but that's only taxed at 8.75 percent. Okay, yeah. Whereas if you were if you took that all as a salary, you would pay 20 percent on everything, whereas you can manipulate it down to 8.75 and. That is some, there is a similar equivalent to that in the, in the Republic of Ireland too because yeah. the corporation tax are much lower. The tax rates are much lower. So basically, you pay your corporation tax in the company and then you draw out salary and dividends that takes you up to the basic rate, which is probably, what is it, 40,000 around that. And then you, you, try and, you try and stay under that unless you need to take more out of your business. But you can decide, I want to take 60 grand out of the business this year, not just 40. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you can reduce, you can mitigate your taxes in the short term if you don't need the money. And so, look, I know that's a lot. That's it's a lot, but um, that's why whenever it comes to things like this, it's a it, it is a one-on-one conversation where people really need to sit down with somebody and and figure this all out properly 
based yeah, on their finances and their finances this is really no really helpful like definitely i know i know it's probably hard for you to talk so broadly like when you're so used to working with people yeah. one-to-one but it, like this general information is really really helpful i just have one more question around that and then we'll we'll tie things up um yep. so in relation to so like my like if like my accountant is like you know maybe you, you need to be putting aside 50 percent of everything to save for your tax bill at the end of the year yeah um is that 50 percent of what you earn or 50 percent of your profits after your expenses well generally you pay tax on your profits so if a few if you have a revenue of 100 grand a year and they're telling you you need to hold on to 50 then to me that's you know that's far too much generally it will be you know if you're self-employed in the uk for example and you know you're going to earn forty-nine thousand that year or roughly for example then as long as you think that you're going to stay under 50 grand, you will only really need to hold on to maybe 25% because you yeah. need to pay your taxes at 20%, national insurance, blah, 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 all them wee things. But 50% is only, if you needed to hold on to 50%, in the UK, you would need to be making north of 100 grand a year to be even thinking about that. And so okay. in the Republic, it all depends on your tax rate. So if you think you're going to exceed the, the bracket and go on the 40% tax, then you pay 40% tax on everything. Is that right, Kate? Um, yeah. Or just part of it? Uh, yeah, oh, I'm just talking broadly. I wasn't necessarily talking um, about me, but that's... No, I'm not about you, but I mean, in taxes in the, in the Republic, if you... 40%. More, so if you get past a certain tax tax level, or salary level, it's 40%. Of everything, or just the, the amount above the threshold? The amount above the threshold, I think. Right, okay, fair enough. So that's something somewhere here. So to me, 50% seems excessive, to be honest with you. Um, yeah. You know, if you think that well, you're going to... You have to pay, pay tax ahead. So like, just say, so I've just done taxes for this year. So you pay your tax bill and then you have to pay preliminary tax for the year ahead. Yeah, I know that, which is annoying. So, But at the, your accountant's probably just trying to keep keep you very comfortable in that manner. But they're yeah. like, hold on to half your money so that any of the bills that come up are okay but you know this is really strange to say but you know that's again that's a very broad way of approaching it for an accountant you know yeah. could they be a lot more specific and say for the last two years you've paid x amount of tax and x amount of prelim tax from my calculations you only need to you know hold on to 37 or 38 percent of what you're actually bringing in yeah, it's probably, I suppose, a good savings mechanism if you have the money there that if you're putting away in and around 50% of your of what you're earning when you can afford it. Obviously, if you can, if you need to live off it, you need to live off yeah. it. You know, yeah, yeah. then you're not going to, if you need to live off it, then your tax bracket's going to be lower anyway. You're going to be yeah. um, paying less percentage. Um, but that then if you're put investing in your business and you're doing a business course or you're going on a business trip or, you know, anything that you know is 100% or you need to buy a new laptop and it's 100% yeah. a business expense, you can yeah. actually, am I right in thinking you could take that from those savings that you've put aside for your tax bill? Of course, I will. In your company, you'll have a you'll just basically have cash in your company, and then that will form as a company bank account. And then if you've got ten grand in it and you need a new laptop for a thousand euro, then you can just use a thousand euro out of that you know out of that company cash account. Companies don't really have savings, uh, Kate. They will either have a current like a business account. You can have corporate investments, but they're way on down the line. You know, they're yeah. that's like big money stuff, and then. The other savings mechanism for a company will be a pension contribution as a director. 
Yeah, yeah. Which, which uh, yeah, and I'm probably I'm talking more kind of sole trader, kind of beginner, like small businessy kind of stuff. So, yeah. um, yeah, just keep the stuff as much as you can in the business account. Pay yourself a little salary that you can live off, and then anything that you need to buy for the business, take out of the. Like I'm calling it the savings. I mean the business account. Kind yeah, of exactly. Yeah. yeah. At the end of the day, it's, you know, the more that can go through your, you know, your tax returns as expenses, the better. But obviously, it has to be appropriate, and you don't really want an accountant that's writing off absolutely everything and then somebody comes knocking down the line and says what the hell have you been doing with your taxes this last five years so you know there has to be a middle ground there between saving money and taxes but also keeping your finances buoyant you know in case you ever need to borrow money um and so that that's an ongoing process that you review with your accountant um and look your accountant is your best friend they're the first port of call when it comes to managing your money when you're self-employed or a business owner somebody like me comes in after that whenever your business is in good standing and then I start to give ways that you can scale the efficiency of your business then yeah that's really 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 good advice um we'll finish it there one last question before we finish up I'm really consciously we've gone way over an hour but I've really I have really enjoyed this conversation and um I think there's been so much benefit from it so last question I usually at the end because it's a health podcast I'll always ask my guest what does the word health mean to you so I'm not going to ask yeah. you that, but I'm going to ask you, what does financial health mean to you? In in a short few sentences, financial health, what does that financial mean? Financial health, uh, comfort, the, the ability to make choices, the ability to be flexible with your life, not be stressed, not get overwhelmed. Um, financial health to me is basically loving life by design, which is a term that I talk about a lot now these days, is putting yourself in a position where you can decide what you want to do every day without worrying that you're going to end up bankrupt at the end of it or have yeah. the prudence to be able to, or knowledge to be able to plan for things that you know are going to come up and so that you can just alleviate all stress in your life. Um, and I consider financial health to be just the same pillar as mental health and physical health too. You know, you can't be all physical and not focus on the other two. It's just, it has to be a part of life now that, you know, we just never... It was never a big topic, especially in Ireland when people were younger, and it just needs to change. Um, yeah. So that's what it means to me. You know, health, well, health, wealth, and happiness, as they call it. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's true. Yeah, that's no, that's so true. Um, so if anyone wants to find you online, um, like do you, do you offer um, online supports for anyone in the UK who's listening? Do you work online with people? Yeah, yeah. Um, on my on my Instagram. Oren Coyle Financial Advisor. You can find me and there's a digital diary with about four appointments left for the rest of the year, to be honest, um, because I've been busy. You can find me there. And as I said um, at the start of the at the start of the call, is I have written some ebooks that are free yeah. for fitness and medical people and content creators and so on and so forth. Um, they all include the same the same information, um, but it's primarily UK based, to be honest with you, Kate. Um, but you can download them for free and the, the, all the stuff that I've been talking about, it touches on all those things, um, some in more detail, um, so that can people get an they can get an idea. Where, where do we get the e-books then? Where, where will people come? They're on the, on the link in my bio. You can, click, you can click it and, it's, and there's a section for free e-books, yeah. Oh, um, and they're free. That, that's brilliant. Um, thank you so much for yeah. your time and all your, your expert advice yeah. today. And I'm sorry if the questions were, you were like, oh God, how does she not know this? But it, no. it was just so beneficial. Yeah, it's okay. It, um, it's been really interesting actually because it keeps me on my toes. Yeah. And obviously when you're talking about, you know, different jurisdictions and it can get a bit murky. 
So um, I apologise to anybody that's listening that might have got confused at any point. Um, but if there's anything that you want to know, obviously, please don't be afraid to ask me questions. Yeah, and, I'll do my best. And I think no, I think you you explained everything so clearly, and hopefully, um, I've helped other people who are maybe as clueless as me in some of these situations. And that was my whole purpose of this podcast. So thank you so much for helping me deliver Perfect. that. Thank you. Thank you, Kate. Cheers. Okay, everyone, it is that time of year again, and I am going to mention the C word. So. The last Nourish, Move and Shine program of 2023 is on sale now. So it's going to start on the 23rd of October and it's going to run all the way up to Christmas. So if you want to look your best and feel your best coming up to Christmas, uh, make sure to grab a spot. You can go onto my website or even if you go through any of my social medias, the link in bio will bring you to the sign up and spaces will be limited because it's just little old me doing the coaching and everybody gets an individual check-in so I need to be able to have the time to check into everyone so once the spaces are gone they're gone so hop on a quick and you won't know the time you know how quickly Christmas comes around so you might as well be putting in the work and the structure now and you'll be feeling amazing by Christmas so Nourish Move and Shine is my group coaching and it's specifically designed for busy ladies so I am a mum of three as you know I know what it's like to try and balance everything and do everything. It's impossible. Um, it is, indivi- as I said, individual check-ins each week, but it has all the perks of one-to-one coaching, but with the support and the community and the atmosphere of group coaching. So it's an all-around win-win. Um, it's suitable for anyone who wants to make healthy changes in their lives, anyone from beginners to anyone who's just looking to reset back into healthy habits. Um, it's not a restrictive diet. You won't get a meal plan. Um, it is about making small changes gradually to build the foundations for lasting change. So what's included? Personalized calories or hand portions, food lists, step goals, at-home workouts or gym-based workouts. Totally up to you. Some people don't even do the workouts. They want to focus just on the steps and the nutrition. And that's totally fine. Mindset work, app access, WhatsApp group support, one-to-one support through email and WhatsApp. We do fun challenges. We do measurements and progress checks every four weeks. And there's weekly check-in forms, as I said, to fill in. And you'll hear from me individually each week. So it is €199 for eight weeks. Like I said, last one of the year. So jump on it. Don't miss out. And I promise you, not it. This is not just a diet. This will change your whole outlook on your body, on fat loss, on health and fitness in general. You will move forward in your life with a whole new mindset and with the tools to be able to continue on your journey um, in a healthy, balanced way while actually enjoying your life. So, like I said, hop over to my website, which is katehamiltonhealth.com or any of my socials at Kate Hamilton Health and book your spot for the gone.